0: I invite you to turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. Uh, 1 Peter, if you're in the Blue Pew Bible, you'll find it on page 1014, page 1014, 1 Peter chapter 1. You know over the past few weeks, as we've been uh, in Chapter One, kind of opening it up, seeking to to understand these words, we've we have heard glorious truths about all that we have available to us in Christ Jesus. And as you might recall, if you've been with us, uh, Peter has been especially focusing our attention upon the future blessings that are ours uh, in Christ. But it's, it's not just so that we'll know them, but uh, in order to help us with living our lives today. Uh, Peter said back in verse 6 of chapter 1, he said that uh, his audience he knew had been grieved by various trials. Uh, they, they were suffering, they were going uh, through difficult circumstances, Uh, We might look at our own lives and say, at times, we are grieved by various trials, maybe not the same trials, but at the same time, uh, trials that are not easy, they are difficult. And so what Peter wants for them and he wants for us is that our faith, which remember he said is, is more precious than gold, he wants our faith to be steadfast so that we might persevere through the trials, and so that we might live as those who belong to Christ. There is a way that those who belong to Christ live, and it's, it's that second part about living that we're getting to this morning. That's what we're going to be focusing upon for the first time, really. Uh, you'll notice as you get to verse 13, that's where we're going to be uh, this morning beginning You'll notice if you read through that that there's a shift in, in language, the type of language that Peter uses. Uh, it's, it's here that he really begins to instruct. In fact, you'll even see commands that are given there about how we should now live our lives. And let me just say that this shift that that Peter is making is is an important one. Uh, it has everything to do with that uh, shorter catechism question that we had earlier. What do the scriptures principally teach? And remember, there were two things. Scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God. That's that's one side. But then, out of that and based upon that, what duty God requires of man. And so, anytime we, anytime you're in God's Word and you're reading, you should. It helps greatly to pay attention and and look. For this. Now, this is primarily what Scripture is teaching. You won't find it everywhere that you go, but primarily it's, it's one of those two things. What should I believe? And that's generally given with uh, an indicative kind of statement. And the, the, the counterpart to that is in the imperative voice. I want you to know those two words if you don't. If you're good with English grammar, you already know that, and, and you'll be in good Uh, Good stead, but uh, the indicative, these are statements that are made, factual statements. This is reality. This is the way it is. And so often we'll find those. This is what you must believe. But then on the other hand, therefore, this is how you must live, and you'll find commands. Uh, Often one way that you can spot this right off is you'll see the word therefore given in the text. And you know what we're supposed to do with that word. You're always supposed to look back and see what it's there for, right? Uh, the word therefore. But if you see that and you see it followed by commands, you must do this, live in this way, that's a good indication that you're, you're moving from one to the other. In some of Paul's books, he, like Ephesians, he'll go for three chapters with the indicative, these statements, what we must believe. But then chapter 4 and on. He begins, this is how, therefore, you must live. And he begins with that word, therefore. Uh, and it, it, it's critical that we do see the order of those. And we, and we recognize that as we read through and we live out that order. Uh, here's what one commentator says about this. He says, without the indicative of what God does and has done, the imperative is addressed to a helpless sinner, and therefore it becomes a commandment that either crushes or that drives to vain and prideful efforts. And so if we hear the commands, the law of God, and, and, and we seek to just do that apart from the wonderful truths, apart from who Christ is and what He has done, then we're living a life of works. Uh, And we're going to to reap the fruit of it. And so as we uh, read this passage, notice chapter 13, the the, the passage starts with the word, therefore. And Peter is saying here, think about all that's gone before this. He's saying, because you have been given a wonderful hope, a living hope, a wonderful inheritance that's kept for you, which is salvation, therefore... You've been given all of this. Therefore, you're called to live and you're equipped to live as those who belong to Christ. You've had your heart changed. You now desire to live in in, in these ways. And so here it is. Live this way and the commands follow. So look for that as I read these words. I'm going to begin in verse 13 and read down through verse 21. Therefore... You shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with the perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Let me say a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for these wonderful truths, and that we can know that this is truth. Uh, We recognize there there is instruction here in how we are to live our lives daily, Uh, and we know, Lord, that that is something that we desperately need to know to see, to to recognize, to follow. And so I pray that you'll open our eyes and our hearts to understand this in a right way and to take it, to apply it to our hearts uh, and that it will be effective uh, in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, uh, just down the hall and in the pastor's office where I spend a lot of time, uh, right above the desk, There is a large painting. Now, it's not an original painting. It's clearly a a print, probably, so it won't be stolen out of there. But, uh, you know, it it was there when I first came to to Providence. And uh, I don't know how long it's been there, who put it there. But I've often just kind of glanced up originally, you know, Early on, I just kind of saw it there on the wall, kind of made a couple of glances. But over time, I've, I've looked at it a little bit more and more as I've often prepared sermons, gone through Scripture, and, and I've come to, to love it. You know, that painting is of a, a scene, a, a mountain scene, and it shows a clearing and kind of rolling hills in the foreground. Uh, and then there are wooded forests that lead to this mountain range this far off in, in the distance uh, and all the way through, it's it's going up. Uh, its orientation is up, uh, but uh, the, the clearing disappears, the wooded forest and then the mountain range. And the main feature in the painting that your eyes are drawn to is this single path that comes in from the side and it, it, it winds its way up and through the clearing and disappears into the wooded forest. And, and it seems headed toward uh, its destination in the, the, the forest, or I'm sorry, in the high mountain range. And just one more feature in the painting that the shadows are long, very long, given the sense that uh, yet again we've reached the end of another day. you kind going to see I've spent a lot of time contemplating this painting. Uh, But the intended message of this painting is clear, at least to me it is. Uh, The path is where we are today, and day after day. We are those who are on a journey, we're on a path. But we, we know as we follow along that path that there is a destination that's out ahead. We can't make it out Clearly, uh, we can't see it all, but there is a destination, and we know about that destination. We have a goal, and that goal and that destination has everything to do with how we proceed along the path day after day, uh, today, tomorrow, and the next day. Now, that's what Peter has established for us. Peter has been laying out in this, this wonderful passage, especially verses uh, 3 through uh, 12. Uh, he's been laying out the destination that lies ahead of us. And he's been talking about how, how secure it is and how glorious it is and how, how we, we addressed this last week, how we can see it from all of God's Word, Old Testament and you, it all comes together to give this one picture but of course, he's, he's giving us this information and this detail, not just to fill our heads with knowledge, but in order that we might use it today, that it might be a help of us, for us today. Because when we are walking closely with our Lord, and we have a right vision of that which is set out ahead of us, we have a destination, then today... It affects the way we walk, and we walk in a right way together with our Lord. Uh, I want to just read the first verse of that hymn that we sang just a few minutes ago. Uh, It started off like this, Oh, for a closer walk with God, a calm and heavenly frame, a light to shine upon the road that leads me to the Lamb. That's what we need. Uh, we need that destination to know that it's before us and that our eyes are fixed upon it. And as we go day after day, we need that light shining upon the road as it shows the way to the Lamb, to our destination. You know, I think it's right there uh, that it's easy for us to fail in this area. I think I, I, I know <laughs> I can speak for myself, and I probably can speak for you as well that our minds are so easily taken up by the cares of this world and by desires that have no real lasting value. What about you? Do you find yourself pulled in this direction or pulled in that direction and, and, and recognize that you're at times setting your mind and even your heart upon things. It could be material things, could be Uh, Certain interests could be relationships that you know ultimately will do nothing but maybe lead you away from the Lord. Maybe there are other things that you know as well that you're drawn to that you know the effect on you is going to be that it it dulls your mind. Uh, it, It keeps you from focusing and being intent and being on the path and moving forward, well, that's exactly what uh, what Peter is targeting in this passage. He wants our eyes to be in the right place, and he wants us to be ready to truly walk, journey along the path, to live our lives in a particular way by God's design. And so, with that in mind, there there are two central. Imperatives, two central commands that he gives here. One of those, he says that we must possess a heart for holy living. And then, secondly, that we must possess a heart with a right for a right reverence of God, a heart for holy living, and a heart for a right reverence of God. And, and he gives these in the imperative voice this is what you must do. So first of all, a heart for holy living. Peter starts off in verse 13 by first of all telling us where we must set our sights, set our eyes. And then he points to the type of living that will be enabled in a better way to live as a result. And he he puts that in the commandment as well. Now, I just want to make the point here that Peter is doing more than just commanding us to have a certain attitude. I think any of us here who either have kids or have had kids, uh, we know that this doesn't work. To give a commandment, be happy, (laughs) or uh, whatever other attitude we may be looking for, outwardly, they may be able to do it, but inwardly, you can't just command an attitude. And so what Peter's doing here is he's really calling us to recognize a reality about ourselves. There's a sense in which we're just commanded to believe the gospel. And then out of that, we're enabled to live holy lives. Uh, Look at the command or the imperative that Peter gives at first in verse 13. We've got that word, therefore, which points us back. Uh, It's based on something, everything that has gone before Especially at its heart, this inheritance that's before us, salvation. Therefore, and then look a few words later, he says, set your hope fully. He's saying that first of all, uh, because of that inheritance that's set before you, don't live your life in an aimless way. Don't live without purpose. Rather, There is a particular object to which you must look. And and fix your eyes there, fix your hope there. He says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you, that will be given you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, we get a foretaste of this today. uh, But what he's talking about here is that reality that lies ahead of us that will finally be ours when Christ returns. Uh, There is a particular time. We don't know the time, uh, the the day when it will happen, but we're able to look to that. And that's what he says. He says, look to that. You know, in in Titus chapter 2, we read earlier, uh, we read the uh, assurance of pardon uh, from it. Remember, it it said in Titus 2, Paul said, this is what we're doing. We're waiting for our blessed hope. As we live our lives today, we're, we're waiting. Now, we're doing a lot as we wait. We're to be active. But there is a waiting component to it. We're waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. From another place, this is out of Philippians chapter 3, he says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, fix your eyes on this. Look to to the return of Christ and and the grace that will be finally fully ours. uh, And allow that to be the destination that you're headed for. And think about it. When you have this hope, it changes the way that you live your life. It changes the way that you walk along the journey. Uh, in fact, it must if we really see this for what it is. Have you ever noticed the difference before between a person uh, who has a goal and they have a purpose in life and they're, they're living for that goal and it affects everything that they do. It's off there on the horizon, but they're focused upon it and living for it. The difference between that and someone else. Uh, who is living without any real direction in their lives. Now, there may be something that's, that's here for a time and it's there, but it's, it's temporary. And so when one is gone, there's got to be something else to grab onto. Now With the first, it's the goal and the purpose that shapes how that person lives their lives today. And really, you can see it in every area of their lives. Uh, you can see it in how they how they live daily, what they do with their time. Uh, you can see in uh, their their use of finances. You can see it in the relationships that they have. All of that. They, they don't live life carelessly. It's not simply self-indulgently. That's the person that Peter is speaking of. And it's the person that Peter is speaking to. Even though we know there are all these temptations... All these different things that that pull at us today, yet what he's saying is they are on the path. And it's natural for him then to say, you look back at verse 16, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully. You know, in those words, preparing your minds for action, he's actually... The, the 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 Greek actually has this phrase in it, girding up the loins of your mind. You know, in, in the first century, men would wear long robes that went all the way down to the floor, uh, and uh, they would get in the way anytime they had something that they, they had to do, if they had to run somewhere quickly. And so what they could do was to take the robe and they'd bring it through their legs and they'd uh, bring it into and, and, and down pressed into a girdle it was called or a, 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 a belt if you will and therefore that would free them up and they would be able to move about and run wherever they were and that's what Peter is talking about here when he says gird up the loins of your mind you know roll up your sleeves make yourselves ready for action don't let anything stand in your way And then he says at the same time, and be sober-minded. He's saying, be self-controlled. Make sure that there's nothing that dulls your mind, that it is active and it is ready because of what you're called to now. Uh, That's the instruction that we're given. Because of the journey that you're on with the Lord. You may remember the Israelites back in Exodus, uh, Exodus chapter 12, right after they had eaten the Passover meal, And then they were told that they had to be girded up for their journey that they were going to take. It's the same for us. We need to be girded for mission. And so what is all this readiness about that Peter is speaking about? Why do we need to be clear-minded and self-controlled with our eyes set upon the Lord Jesus and the grace that is ours? Well, it's because of what the Lord is doing right now as we walk along the path. He's changing us. He's transforming us if our eyes are set upon the right goal. Look at verse 14. He says, as obedient children, there, there's the relationship. It's a, it's a close relationship. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. This is at the heart of the journey that we are on. What if you think about the Christian life in that way? That this is at the heart of what's happening, what's being done with you. It's why we need to be girded and prepared. It's because our journey requires a continuous change. Uh, it's the process within us that the Lord is working as we're being conformed more and more to the image of God. Now, there is a difficult side to this. And it's that it involves a spiritual battle. And it's not just one time. It's not just here and there. But it's continuous. You know, uh, Peter says, uh, do not be conformed to the way that you were, to the passions that you had before. This is an an ongoing nature. But be constantly conformed to Him who called you, the one who was holy. You too be holy and he quotes out of leviticus it's in there a number of times in leviticus be holy as i am holy now if you've ever here, here's here's the sense here's the picture of what he's talking about it, as, as we're called to put off uh, what we were before but now to put on this new holiness if you've ever ripped up a floor before a linoleum floor or maybe a tiled floor where the the tiles are glued to the ground, and you got that uh, that device that you're pushing with, and you got to push with all your might as you're ripping up that floor. But at the same time, the whole goal is to put down this this new floor. Well, that's what the Lord is doing in us. That's what sanctification consists of. Uh, at its root, uh, it is the Lord. And just like any renovation, he's he's removing that which is ugly, and he's replacing it with that which is beautiful. But at the same time, it's not easy within us. If you think about that process of ripping up, and throwing away, and then putting on, it's an ongoing process. But what's the Lord doing? He's forming us into something new. Probably heard this before. There's uh, one of the most Maybe it's the most famous sculptor, Michelangelo. Uh, I think it was uh, Bill Oakley who's not here today, but he said he recently saw that statue of David that Michelangelo made. and he, he was struck. He said, it's a beautiful statue. But remember, that statue began with what? Just a hunk of granite until the master began shaping that granite. And it wasn't easy. It took taking off a lot but he shaped it into what it needed to be. And that's what the Lord does with us in this life. He is, even though we may not recognize it, he's making something beautiful. This is out of Second uh, Corinthians chapter 7. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. And then, uh, out of uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, I'm sorry, chapter 4, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. There's this process that's ongoing. Yet never lose sight of the fact that it's his doing. He is the one who is doing this. Remember Paul says in in Philippians chapter 1, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. And that's a great message when we know ourselves, that through and through we are His workmanship. Uh, What joy and wonder there is in the midst of this journey when we know that He is working upon us in this way. And so we're called to submit ourselves to Him, to believe the gospel, and to seek to live holy lives, allowing Him to work in us. So first of all, we must possess a heart for holy living. Secondly, out of this passage, He commands us to have a proper reverence for God, a knowledge and an understanding of, of who God is. You know, for those who have come to to hear the gospel, and they they hear it, and they hear the call upon their own lives, and they receive maybe they, they receive for the first time uh, Christ as their Lord and Savior, perhaps the greatest change that takes place in them, even though it's not something that may be always obvious on the outside, is this new perspective on who the Lord is. Completely a, a, a changed perspective. Before, they were standing against the Lord, but now... They've gathered together and they are looking to the Lord, a change in perspective. They begin to see Him as He truly is. And this admonition from Peter tells us to continue in that way, continue with developing this, this new right perspective which is found in these few words, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, a right reverence and awe of God, something that again will shape the way that we walk along the path as we continue on our journey. You know, Peter's command here, it's found in verse 17. You can kind of look halfway through that verse. He says this conduct yourselves with fear. He's talking about the fear of the Lord, with fear throughout the time of your exile. He's speaking to those here who have come into a relationship with God. They know the Lord. They love the Lord. And Peter's concern is that they they view him and they relate to him in, in this way, in a right manner. And so uh, he tells them, if you look back in, in verse 17 at the beginning, uh, he tells them that, yes, as you call on him as father recognize at the same time that he is your judge your impartial judge both are true at the same time father and impartial judge and they don't contradict each other Uh, there's this this intimate relationship that exists between a believer who is in christ and the father Uh, we have that relationship and we're able to call him father But it doesn't mean that we have a license to live our lives in whatever way that we choose, whatever our our heart's desire might be. We can see that because He is our Father, He's also your impartial judge. What Peter's saying is that the Christian who has been born again of the Father cannot simply live a sinful life, thinking that the Father will just overlook his sin. But he must, in his daily life, live as a child of God. The sins of the believer are covered by Christ. But if we live our lives without regard for this, without a proper fear of the Lord, if if we just live our lives doing whatever we please, then we're going to have to take a step back and say, well, I have to question, am I truly a child of God or not? And so he says, if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear. He's pointing to the fear of the Lord. A right fear. A reverence of God that we see Him in the right way. That's not all. Uh, Here's a second reason to conduct yourselves uh, or we should conduct ourselves in the fear of the Lord. Look at verse 18. He says, knowing that you... We're ransomed. That's a key word. We're ransomed. We're bought. We're purchased from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. Not with a perishable thing such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You know, he's calling us to look back to a prior time, a prior time in, in our lives a time in which we were not on the path, we were not looking to the destination, and in fact, ultimately, we may have been living with some purpose, but it was a temporary purpose. It was a time when we were ultimately living lives that were hollow, that were empty, that were unprofitable, that were certainly not for the Lord. They were ultimately hopeless. Yet while we were in this state, Christ made payment for us. Christ died for us. He laid down his very own life. And that changes everything. What Peter is calling us to see is the exceeding greatness of the price that has been paid for us. We've been ransomed by God. He says ransomed from the futile ways the useless ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. That's the way purchases are are normally made. Stocks, maybe. Material things, things of this world. No, with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. We've been ransomed back to the the first century and what that meant. It was a a slave who had been bought, purchased by a a benefactor. There was some amount of money that was paid. It would be in some material goods or, or maybe silver, maybe gold. And it would be paid to purchase that slave's freedom. That's the comparison that's being made here. Yet, in our case, it's not money, it's not material goods that were made for the for the purpose, for the purchase, but it took our precious Savior. Uh, his blood spilled, the spotless lamb, the one who is innocent, innocent of all wrongdoing. Uh, he submitted himself for us. He was placed upon a criminal's cross where we should have been. And... Therefore, a substitute was made for us and his blood was spilled, the precious blood of Christ. That was the price that was paid. And it was all to ransom us from a life of futility and to then set us on a path that leads us to a wonderful destination that we're able to set our eyes upon and know and follow the path along and know that we will never be taken off of that path, that we will ultimately be guaranteed to to land at that destination. How could that create in us anything but thanksgiving and awe for who He is, a love for our Savior? He has taken us from living a life of futility in which we had nothing ahead of us but judgment and condemnation And He's placed us upon this path, on a path that will take us to a place in which we will be crowned with glory. I could just say, if you don't know this Savior, if you don't know this path, then the one thing to do is to come and to trust in the Lord Jesus. That's the very first step. It's a step of, of faith, taking His words, hearing the gospel, that you're lost in your sins and trespasses, completely separate from God. But He has made a way through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, for all of your sins to be wiped away, that you might be brought together with Him. You know, as Peter says of our blessed Lord and Savior, and he says this to really drive the point home at this point, I think, about who the Savior is and about all that He has done for us, that we might reverence Him, that we might love Him, and as we continue along the path, see Him in a right way. And so, He, he says, this beginning in verse 20, He, Christ, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest was made known seen. he dwelt among us in these last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope are in God. Notice the very first orientation that we must have to God is that of a believer. It is by faith you have been saved. Yet even that is a work of God. Notice that he says here, who through him are believers in God. Through him that he has done this work. What a glorious thing it is to know that it's not dependent upon me ultimately. Even though I walk in that way and I I take that step by faith that I can know that he is the one who does that work inside of me. Just for a moment, I want to draw our attention back to that painting that I mentioned uh, at the very beginning. That's on the wall in the pastor's office. And uh, think about the path that winds its way through the clearing uh, up to the wooded forest, and then finally on its way to the destination. That's us in this world. We are sojourners. We are exiles. We are different from the rest of the world. This is not our home. You know. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 says, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. Let me read again out of Philippians chapter 3. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. That's our destination. Yet today, we are continuing on the path. And Peter says, as we continue on that path, that we need to know a couple of things. Uh, we need to see our Lord in a, in a right way. We need to continue in a right way. Uh, and one of those is that we must possess a heart for holy living. And secondly, that we must possess a proper reverence for God. We must see Him in a right way. And that He will carry us through to the destination and see us there that we might be together with Him. Let me say a word of prayer. Father, we thank You that we can have this and we can have certainty in it. Thank You that there is a way that we can not only have the reality, but that we can be assured of it in our own hearts. Uh, Lord, I pray that you will do that work of assurance within each of us. And therefore, out of that assurance, help us day after day to live as those who are children of God. Uh, Father, to, to live lives that are holy lives, where we recognize our own sin, where we put it to death, and help us to see you, Lord, in a right way, uh, knowing that you are our God and that you have provided for us. And uh, therefore, help us to have hope as we live day after day, that certainty of where we are heading. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.